What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. This is Ghost Echoes. I'm Matthew Parsons. The marquee over the theater door said four short films about Roxy music. You didn't know what to expect from that, but you can never resist those flashing lights. Cinema gave up some of its glamour the moment that color arrived. Black and white film stock has glamour in its chemicals. It can transform the most mundane story into a magnificent drama by a simple trick of the light. Take Brief Encounter, a straightforward melodrama about a doomed affair. I want to die. If only I could die. If you died, you'd forget me. I want to be remembered. Yes, I know I do too. Celia Johnson and Trevor Howard play the central couple, sneaking away from their spouses to be with each other, all the while knowing it can't last. They are profoundly ordinary people, engaging in profoundly ordinary misbehavior. And yet, their story feels like a romance for the ages. That's the power of good old-fashioned celluloid. It converts reality into something better than reality. For Brief Encounter's 86-minute runtime, Johnson and Howard escape from their daily lives and you escape from yours. Just as effectively and with none of the consequences. When the projector shuts off and the house lights come on, two Brief Encounters have come to an end. Brief Encounter left a deep mark on a young man named Brian Ferry. And no wonder, his life contained no glamour at all. His parents were very nice, very poor people with neither the money nor the time to think about beautiful things. He felt like he was born into the opposite of the life he was meant for. But at the cinema, he could escape into the world where he did belong, the world of the glamorous people. 
Brian Ferry studied this world. He pined for it. And when he grew up, he joined it. He accomplished this by becoming a rock star. Make me a deal and make it straight. Many years before Ferry rose from poverty to stardom, Noel Coward did the same. Coward was a showbiz polymath, a playwright, director, singer, songwriter, and icon of timeless British wit. Coward wrote the screenplay for Brief Encounter. His storytelling seared itself into the young fairy's mind. And clearly so did his singing. At last the crimson cold cascades To shower dry cold ones within Too late to When Ferry set out to make his first album, with his new band, Roxy Music, he knew the characters from Brief Encounter would make a cameo appearance. He sketched out ideas for a song that should be quiet, delicate, simple, and plaintive. I never thought I'd see you again The song is called Chance Meeting, and it reunites the doomed lovers of Brief Encounter after they've been worn down by years of banal, everyday life. Old wounds are reopened. When Ferry wrote this song, he hadn't escaped yet from the boredom and the drift of mere reality. But he soon would and his encounter with a better life would be permanent. Number two, rethink, re-entry. The 1960s didn't really start until 1965, at least where music's concerned. Not so in the world of visual art. By 1962, Andy Warhol's soup cans were mystifying Los Angeles, and London already had a pretty hip contingent of young painters. Who turn for their subject matter to the world of pop art, the world of the popular imagination, the world of film stars, the twist, science fiction, pop singers. A world which you can dismiss if you feel so inclined, of course, as being tawdry and second-rate, but a world all the same, in which everybody, to some degree anyway, lives, whether we like it or not. One of these bleeding-edge pop artists was a stylish young gentleman called Derek Bosher. I'm interested in the space race and everything that's connected with it. Well, it's something to do with what's happening now. Every this painting is called I Wonder What My Heroes Think of the Space Race. The three heroes are Nelson, Abe Lincoln, and Buddy Holly. In 62, the year of this BBC program, Bosher made a painting called Rethink, Re-Entry. 
true to his space race obsession, it depicts a humanoid figure being shot out of a rocket launcher, turning into a Union Jack puzzle piece, and being fit into a map of the UK. Your guess is as good as mine. By the time the first Roxy Music album came out a decade later, Bosher had long moved past his obsession with rockets and celebrities. But the pop art movement he'd been part of was becoming an inspiration to the glam rock movement that Roxy Music were part of. Hello, my name is Brian Ferry, and I'm going to be your guide through this exhibition of pop art. While you take a look round at some of the works in this first room, let me tell you why I'm here. Well, the obvious first thing, I suppose, is that I started my career as a pop artist, a painter. Ferry went to art school, a background he shares with a lot of pop musicians since the 60s, including John Mayall, John Lennon, Keith Richards, Ronnie Wood, Charlie Watts, Jimmy Page, Pete Townsend, Viv Stanshall, Sid Barrett, Eric Clapton, Ray Davies, Freddie Mercury, Sade, Jarvis Cocker, Graham Coxon, PJ Harvey, MIA, Florence Welsh, and a critical mass of the British punks. And I was taught by Richard Hamilton, who was one of the founders of British pop art. Richard Hamilton's collages of images from advertising and pop culture set Ferry free to play the magpie, cribbing bits from whatever scraps of culture he saw fit. This culminated in a deliriously rapacious moment in Remake, Remodel, a song named for Derek Bosher's Rethink, Reentry. in a post-pop art world could the Beatles, Eddie Cochran, and Wagner collide within the same one minute of rock and roll. Speaking of Wagner... Number three, The Ride of the Valkyries. There was a time when a night at the opera was considered a vital part of a balanced life of luxury. But opera doesn't really fit into the Roxy Music lifestyle brand. There's no nice way to say this. It's just not sexy enough. Pop art can get past the bouncer with a rakish wink. And classic Hollywood, are you kidding? She can breeze straight past the line. But opera, well, they're out here shivering in the cold with the accountants and the air conditioning technicians and the adjunct professors. So how did this little snippet make it through the door? Let's consider what the band's saxophonist, Andy Mackay, is really doing here. Why should there be a reference to Wagner in this pop song? Are we meant to take a break from Brian Ferry's images of beautiful women in fast cars and start visualizing Wagner's images of Valkyrie maidens flying through the skies on winged horses? Of course not. No sensible person would believe that the life and work of Richard Wagner factors into this moment at all. This melody, The Ride of the Valkyries, is only invited to the party because it has been thoroughly stripped of its context by pop culture. Kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit. 
The Ride of the Valkyries doesn't belong to opera anymore. It belongs to Francis Ford Coppola and the Blues Brothers and Elmer Fudd. So when you hear that theme on a Roxy Music album, you're hearing a reference of a reference. A melody that's valuable because it's familiar and for no other reason. This is how Roxy Music did pop art. It's the musical equivalent of Andy Warhol's soup cans. Wagner was a terrible person, so it's amusing to think about how much he would hate this. In Wagner's operas, every recurring melody is tied to a specific image or concept, like the flowing water of the Rhine. Or the heroic deeds of the hero Siegfried. Wagner saturated his music with symbolism and meaning, only for it to be made meaningless by years of overexposure. This right here is the moment when the Ride of the Valkyries came full circle. Somehow, that music became so banal that it took a glam rock band to make it back into art. Number four, the Roxy. Imagine yourself in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, take your pick, in New York City. Maybe you're an oil magnate, maybe you're a shopkeeper. Regardless of when and who you are, for just a quarter, you could step off the streets and into a world of beauty and elegance at the corner of 50th Street and 7th Avenue the newly opened Roxy Movie Palace. I made a, a kind of great list of names of cinemas, like Odeon and Gaumont and Soldo and all, all these sort of names which had a very nice ring to them, but they didn't really mean anything, except there was a place where you went to to escape from everyday life and, uh, and picture palaces, you know? And Roxy seemed to be the nicest one. It was the nicest one. The Cathedral of the Motion Picture, they called it. Your escape from everyday life began before the film even started rolling. The Grand Foyer had all the glamour of a movie set, complete with the world's largest oval rug. The ushers called you Sir or Ma'am, even if nobody else ever did. And when you looked up to see the golden ceiling and the crystal chandelier, well, it was hard not to feel a little more distinguished than you did before. The foyer led into a regal, red-and-gold, 6,000-seat auditorium. Crimson curtain, pipe organ, orchestra pit, it had all the bells and whistles. Sure beat the grubby, hard-seated, bare-walled Nickelodeons from a few years ago. And when the house lights dimmed, you got a peek at a life of adventure and romance. We're not in Kansas anymore. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Oh, Jerry, don't let us ask for the moon. We have the stars. Even if you were living pretty good, you weren't living like they do in the pictures. You weren't living like Rudolph Valentino and Greta Garbo, or Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. But at the Roxy, you almost were. 
You could imagine you were if you squinted a bit, blurred out the edges of the screen. At the best of times, it's a lasting fantasy, a brush with glamour that stays with you even as you pass back through the foyer, over the world's largest oval rug, towards the doors that will spit you back out onto the corner of 50th Street and 7th Avenue, back into your everyday life. For Brian Ferry, everyday life was the enemy, and he had a word for all the forces that come together to fight that enemy. The pictures, and the music, and the beautiful people at the center of it all. The symbols of a life we might just be able to attain somehow. Brian Ferry had a word that stood for everything he ever wanted. Everything he wanted for all of us. That word was Roxy. Just looking at you, kid. Hard to forget. Just looking at you, kid. At least not yet. Your memory stays. It lingers ever. I'm Matthew Parsons. Next time on Ghost Echoes, a sharp turn to the left. Consequence Podcast Network.